0: All right, guys. Well, we are on day seven of creation, so if we want to turn to Genesis, um, we will look at this passage of Scripture and then just dive right on in. Uh, Beginning in uh, chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 1, this is what the Word of the Lord says. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all of their hosts... By the 7th day God completed his work which he had done and he rested on the 7th day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the 7th day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Um so the Sabbath let me let me just begin by asking when you think about the Sabbath um what are some of the things that typically come to mind when you think about uh, the Sabbath day? Rest. The Sabbath day rest, right? What else? When you say, arguing, <laughs> 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 worship, rest, obedience, fellowship. fellowship, church. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um. You know, I was reminded of the fact that when you know when you look at the Sabbath. A lot of times we approach the Sabbath once again from a systematic theology perspective, and when that happens, um, we we get into issues like uh, Sabbath observance. We get into issues like uh, the significance of the Sabbath for today. Uh, we get into issues like uh, you know uh, the Lord's Day and the Sabbath and how those things correlate, how they di- how they differ. Uh, those types of things. And a lot of times, sadly, like Trish mentioned, uh, and we know as a church, but the, the issue of the Sabbath can become a topic of division, uh, very much so, because you have folks that are strict Sabbath observants, and they believe that uh, Christians today must keep the Sabbath, uh, just like it was kept in the past. And so sadly, this topic uh, a lot of times results in a lot of controversy. And uh, that's really not uh, the focus that I want to uh, focus on today. Uh, not to step that a as- sidestep that, or to ignore the controversy. Certainly, I don't. I haven't ignored the controversy in my life regarding the Sabbath. I am not a Sabbatarian, by the way. I do not believe Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. Uh, I do believe the Lord's Day sort of replaced the Sabbath, or the church transition from Sabbath to Lord's Day in commemoration of the resurrection. Uh, but I do believe principles of the Sabbath do carry over in the sense that God wants us to honor Him with with our time, God wants us to have a day of worship, God wants us to also experience rest. Uh, he doesn't want us to work ourselves to death. Uh, rest is something that's really good for us. But anyway, um, matter of fact, in, uh, I think it was in France during the French Revolution, the atheists uh, that were running the country at the time wanted to do away with a a day off of the week. They wanted to just work all the way through the week and not rest at all, and it resulted in disaster. I've heard that story told so many times, But, uh, but, but man needs rest. There's no question about it. The question is, and this is why I love biblical theology so much, is that From a biblical theological perspective, what is the Bible teaching us about Sabbath rest? Um, In one sense, the Sabbath is connected uh, to the concept of eschatology. And what I'm saying is that when we look at the Sabbath, uh, already in the, the days of creation, we already have the concept of eschatology being presented to us in the idea that the God that began creation also completed it, right? So we have a God that is telic in nature, meaning he goes from a beginning point to an end point. And the Sabbath is kind of the the crowning day of creation, uh, sort of capping it all off. And when you look at Scripture, what you find is that in fact... The Sabbath has an eschatological thrust uh, in the economy of God's people. And that's really what I want to, um, what I want to uh, uh, show you. The Sabbath introduces into the created order, once again, the concept of the heavenly ideal. That um, what God is doing, remember we've been arguing, or at least I have, that what's happening in the days of creation is not that Moses is trying to refute evolution, right? But what's happening in the days of creation is that he is showing us sort of the primitive cosmic temple of God. And the reason we know that is because the later temples of God, whether you're talking about the tabernacle or the temple of Solomon, were structured and were created and patterned after the creation with earth and sea, with sky and stars, with the luminaries, Uh, All of these different aspects of the creation are reflected in the sanctuary, in the temple, in the tabernacle. Uh, And so it is no surprise that what happens is is that the Sabbath later promotes this heavenly ideal where God wants his people living in safety and in perpetual rest in the context—listen closely now—in the context of a communion bond. Let me read to you some scriptures, okay? This is Leviticus 26, verse 34. It says, after the Mosaic Covenant had come and the people had been delivered out of Egypt, this is what God is saying. He says, the land will enjoy its Sabbaths all the days of its desolation. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. So there we have the concept of the land and rest, Where, again, if we know anything about the typological nature of the land, the land is ultimately indicative of the new heavens and the new earth in biblical theology, in the way the Bible unfolds, in the typology that's connected to the land. Here, we're being told that the Sabbaths were to permeate the land, that the land was to enjoy Sabbath rest. How about this one? Deuteronomy 12.10 When you cross the Jordan, so now we're talking about the children of Israel taking possession of the promised land, and live in the land which the Lord your God is giving to you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies around you so that you live in security. Uh, Let me give you one more. Joshua 23, verse 1. Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side, and Joshua was old and advanced in years. You know what's interesting about this? Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. What's interesting about uh, the type of rest that's being depicted here in Joshua? Deuteronomy... Leviticus is talking about it. Joshua is actually doing it, right? But here's the connection, because if you thought, well, this is talking about rest from the enemies and rest, you know, the land is uh, enjoying rest. But the author of Hebrews is very careful to connect the two, right? Look at, um, uh, look at uh, a verse, uh, I guess we can begin in verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and it's talking about the Sabbath rest, uh, it says and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience watch this he again fixes a certain day today saying through david after a long time just as he ha- just as has been said before today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts look at verse 8 for if joshua had given them rest he would not have spoken of another day after that you see what happens the sabbath rest day itself becomes typological of redemption right of rest through salvation which is ultimately realized through jesus christ and ultimately consummated in heavenly rest that is the way that rest is going to work now i have a couple points up here up here i don't know if you can read that But I have here uh, the function of the Sabbath, and I've got three things I want to point out today. The temple theme, the redemptive theme, and the eschatology theme. Okay, That's where we're really going to go. Now, as far as the temple theme, remember that we've been talking about the fact that the creation is, in a sense, God's cosmic temple. You have the same thing happening in Revelation 21, where God is again building a worldwide temple that encompasses all of creation. So again, uh, you have parallels to uh, the temple and to creation. Let me give you one interesting observation that others have made. Several scholars have pointed this out. G.K. Beale, Meredith Klein, many other good scholars have pointed this out. Uh, An Old Testament uh, uh, scholar by the name of Walton has also pointed this out. And what they're saying is that just as in Genesis, there are seven pronouncements of God's speech and God said, let there be light. And God said, let the earth bring firm, you know uh, 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 animals after their kind, et etc. et cetera, et cetera. You have seven statements in the creation of the tabernacle. And God said to Moses, boom, 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 boom. And God said to Moses, build this and build that. And God said seven times. So you have seven and seven being parallel next to each other. Um, many scholars have pointed out that what this amounts to is that the... Uh, tabernacle is being compared to the cosmic temple of creation so just an interesting thing but does the bible connect the idea of temple and sabbath that's a question i I think it does look with me to psalm 132 psalm 132 just connecting the concept of temple sanctuary and sabbath rest psalm 132 beginning of verse 7 Uh, verses 7 through 8 let us go into his dwelling place what's God's dwelling place his sanctuary his temple his tabernacle let us worship watch this at his footstool what by the way what is God's footstool in terms of the sanctuary anybody know what the footstool of the Lord is what's that The earth is called the footstool of the Lord, but in terms of the sanctuary, what is God's footstool? Anybody know? The footstool, what's that? It's the Ark of the Covenant. It is the Ark. The Ark is his throne. It is called his footstool, right? And so here, uh, this is what they're saying. Let us worship at his footstool. This is all sanctuary imagery. They're not trying to be scientific here, right? Being precise in terms of, oh, no, brother, don't call that his full, because actually you're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. No, 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 no. This is sanctuary imagery that's being employed here of the temple. It says, watch this now. Watch the language of verse eight. Arise, O Lord, and go to battle. Arise, O Lord, and show yourself strong. Nope. Arise, O Lord, and Right to your resting place. What? Wait. Then he tell him to arise. And now he's saying to your resting place. <laughs> How did, why did Why would he say arise to your resting place? It's kind of like up down. <laughs> I, I, it, it perplexed me when I caught that. Right. Okay. So what's happening here? You remember? You remember? I told you some time back that temple building. And the creation was part of the A-N-E, the ancient Near East history in the context of the Bible. And that, remember, we looked at the creation of man, the imago Dei, the image of man, and that it was customary, even in ancient times, for, uh, for kings, when they would build their temple, that, that the king was to be sort of the image of God in the temple that they would build, right? And so, another, here's another concept that's also found in ancient Near Eastern cultures, and that is that the deity that would build his temple would then go into the temple and rest in his temple as a sign of sovereignty. So this is why we're, we're, we're encountering the language of arising to rest, right? It is a position for, for God to rest is a position of strength. Look at what it says. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. You see that? So for God to be in his temple, seated on his throne, as it were, in a resting position is actually a symbol of power. So what is the Sabbath day telling us? When God is resting, people make the error of connecting anthropomorphic language. And immediately getting into a debate with a skeptic that says, "Oh, see here, it says that God was refreshed. What is God tired? Does God need rest? Right, <laughs> right. What's wrong with your? I thought he was omnipotent. Doesn't why does God need to be refreshed? I've heard Muslims argue this with me, and of course they can't even fathom the biblical theological underpinnings of what's going on with God making statements about being refreshed and resting." right? It is actually God saying he's exercising his sovereign maintenance over his creation. That's what he's doing. So I think the Sabbath prepares us to view God in his temple, resting on his throne as a symbol of absolute sovereignty and dominion. Um, Again, Psalm 132 verse 13, for the Lord has chosen Zion he has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell and I have desired it. Right. Another another uh, another uh, parallel idea to Psalm 132 is Second Chronicles chapter six. When we're speaking of the building of the temple and when the temple was built, um, Second Chronicles six forty one. Now therefore arise, O Lord, to the to your resting place, and uh, you and the ark of your might. Let all your priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation, and let your godly ones rejoice in what is good. So, what, what was the symbol of God sitting in rest? That God, who was creator of everything, was also the redeemer of God's people. He clothed them with salvation. Um, there is Any questions, comments, statements, any other observations? Anything come to mind? Anything? Jonathan? Jonathan? Um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yes, ma'am. I think I need to hear again the ancient Near Eastern explanation. <laughs> Yeah, that in the ancient Near Eastern explanation, when when a king or a deity was put into a temple and said to rest there, divine rest happened, and it was a symbol of power. It wasn't a symbol of so we're weakness. About who, that was the practice yes, of their, yes, their kings. that's right. And, and so, you, what is it? And then, how does that tie with what we're looking at here? And so, when what we're saying is that the Sabbath day depicts God resting after his cosmic temple has been built. He resides in that temple through rest, and it's a symbol of divine power. And, so as the and, it, also, and it, also, it also suggests that he is the true and living God. That's what they were saying, that he was sovereign, true, living. He was the God above all gods. And so here God is showing Israel that he, not the pagans in the pagan world, was the true God who's, who rests in his temple. Contemporary, absolutely, okay. perfect. Yeah. It was contemporary language that they that the not only the Israelites would recognize, but the world would recognize. Mm. So the ancient pagans of that day would recognize what it meant for God to be resting in His temple, enthroned in a state of divine rest. They knew that what Israel was claiming was that their God was the only God, the true and living God, and that He had power and might, and that it was in His hand to deliver. You see, so think about coming from the Exodus, coming out, right, and then constructing the tabernacle, putting his throne in the Holy of Holies and saying that he rests there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when you're a Jew in that generation, you, you, it was like, wow, right? That's what the pagans said about their God. That's what their gods were doing, right? Not so. Yes, yes, m- Right. Thinking of it from the Exodus, they've set up the tabernacle mm-hmm. God is resting in the holy place. Cor- showing Israel Look, all those gods that we just destroyed, that I just destroyed, uh-huh. in the plagues have uh-huh. uh, they're nothing. But That's right. They have no power. Right. That's right. Um yeah, and so what happens is is that ultimately divine rest is also connected to the concept of that. That whenever a temple was built, uh, a, a deity was rested in the temple. It also, in the, in the uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, literature, it also meant that God had overcome adversity to get there. Interestingly enough, that, 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 that the divine deity, whoever was being depicted, also had conquered in order to be there, had overcome uh, chaos or enemies Now, that's interesting, right, because we know what uh, uh, day one of creation says, right, that the earth was formless and void. It was chaotic, later used in Israel's history as a symbol or language, really the language is used to speak of Israel in times of adversity, whether it's under you know, Egyptian captivity, whether it's in Babylonian captivity, tohu, bavohu, that language is used in connection with Israel's adversity, right? So God overcomes the chaos before he ascends to a place of divine rest. Um, Let me just bring in a couple more verses just to show you this. This was the reason that God had called the Jews out of Egypt and promised to give them a land so that God would dwell there, rest there, and reign there, right, Exodus 15, verse 17 and 18, just uh, another relevant text. Exodus 15:17 says, "You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever." Um, again, the concept, it's not surprising that the, the concept between creation and enthronement is connected. 2 Kings nineteen fifteen, Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you, O God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. See, remember, God on his throne is also a symbol that he is, He alone is the living God, the true and living God. <laughs> here here he's saying it. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Interesting, right? Just the connection between the two. Uh, okay, let me read you a quote here. Uh, this is probably GKB, I don't remember. Yeah, it is GKB. I'm looking at my, my footnotes, little footnotes. Sorry, I can't see them. This is what GK Beale says. He says, "Consequently in the ancient Near East East East, as in the Bible, temples were for divine rest. And divine rest is found in sanctuaries or sacred space. The pagan religious material suggests further that after God overcame chaos and created the world and after he overcame Israel's enemies and built the temple, he rested as a true sovereign on his throne. In contrast," To the pretending false deities whom pagan worshipers believed had done the same. So, um, let's see, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 because I find it interesting that the concept of overcoming and the concept of God enthroned is also connected to Jesus. Right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. What's the most often quoted psalm in the entire New Testament? psalm 110 that's right psalm 110 fascinating right look at what it says here every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices hebrews 10 11. which can never take away sins verse 12 but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time he sat down at the right hand of god where's that that is the throne right waiting from that time onward for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet <laughs> right So there Jesus now takes upon the very imagery of the Old Testament which depicts God sitting on his throne overcoming his enemies. Now this is connected to the 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 the, uh, the true uh, high priest Jesus the prophet priest, and king Jesus Christ um, so I don't want to spend the whole time on the temple theme because I'll never finish. So let's move on to the redemptive theme of the Sabbath. So we're asking, what function does the Sabbath have in biblical theology? And what is biblical theology? Remember biblical theology? I guess we could summarize it as the unfolding story of the Bible with all of its connected parts that go together, all the themes that are developed throughout that story, right? The second thing is is that there is a redemptive rest that comes about. Now, where does the Bible get the idea that a human being is going to give people rest? Genesis? Where? Um, and where it tells I'm still with you. you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was with you. In spirit, <laughs> you're right. It is in Genesis. It is after the curse. It is after Adam and Eve. It it's in, uh, close, it's uh, Genesis 5. Okay. In Genesis chapter 5. Remember what happens in Genesis chapter 5? Very interesting word. I would say it's kind of like one of those, remember Caiaphas? He spoke better than he knew, right? <laughs> right. Uh, leave this man alone if it is of God, you know, or whatever. Um, look at uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 28. I think Lamech spoke better than he knew, Right. God used another occasion. God uses foolish vessels to communicate at times profound truth. Right. Lamech lived one hundred and eighty two years. Wow. And became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying this one will give us rest. From our work and from the toil of our hands, watch this arising from the ground, which the Lord cursed Very interesting. So there there was the hope that an individual, a descendant of Adam, ultimately, right, would usher in some form of rest that would reverse the curse. You See that? Um, So already, right, I mean, because you guys know your Bible, already all these things are firing off in your head. (laughs) Right? You know... What seed is actually going to reverse the curse and going to usher in everlasting rest? That's Jesus Christ, of course. Of course. But of course, that seed was not the seed, meaning Noah. Noah was not uh, the agent through which God would bring in everlasting rest. He was not the agent through which the curse would be reversed. Um, Noah served a very uh, important redemptive function Adam became, as it were, um, one of the first um, patterns that we see of the new creation, where Adam is, or excuse me, Noah is once again going to be given the Adamic commission to multiply, right, and fill the earth. He he again is connected to the image of God, language, right. After the waters subside, God makes a covenant with Noah, really with the world, um, but he was not that that one scripture also tells us now I have to read this because I don't mess this up scripture also tells us that the ultimate Sabbath rest was not achieved through the exodus although the Sabbath became the sign of the Mosaic covenant where is that at uh, look this isn't really one for y'all to memorize Exodus 31 right Exodus 31 when I was in a very heated controversy over the Sabbath, I came back time and again to try to point out, I believe, to my Sabbatarian brothers that the Sabbath had a redemptive historical function by being the sign of the Mosaic covenant and that that was its purpose at that time. Right? Uh, what, where did I say? Exodus 31, verse, uh, I guess we can start in verse 16. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. Now, the, the, the idea of a perpetuity of the Sabbath is important. We'll come back to that. Number 17. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. See, there's that language of refreshing, right, where God is literally enjoying himself, enjoying uh, I'm going to talk about Sabbath hedonism, uh, a term I, I think I heard uh John Piper use, but I'm gonna use it in a different way. <laughs> I'm gonna use it in a slightly different way than he did. But once again, so uh once again, we are told that Moses did not achieve Sabbath rest. How do we know that Israel did not, under the Mosaic covenant, how do we know that they did not achieve uh Sabbath re- True Sabbath rest, yes, sir redemptive sabbath rest. They were still They're still battling their enemies? Very good. That's actually part of a great that's that's a point of a part of a of a bigger point that I would make, but that's part of it. Why else how, how else do you see Israel not enjoying perfect sabbath rest they in the sacrifices. land? They can offer okay. Okay, yeah, so they didn't achieve the final sacrifice. That is, in fact, you're right. According to Hebrews, right, the once for all sacrifice of Jesus is connected to the Sabbath. Yes, sir? Um, they're still battling the curse. Yeah, curse. What other curses are they battling, though? That's my main point. Yeah, like the What's that? Curse What's that? The law, the law? yeah. Closer? What What else? Yeah, so I'm thinking specifically, and here's another chapter that you guys have to have memorized. <laughs> Don't memorize the whole chapter, just memorize what's in it, and that's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. We won't go there because, I mean, I literally mean the entire chapter. What is Deuteronomy chapter 28? Cursings and blessings for the covenant, and you know that Israel broke the covenant, and throughout the rest of the history of israel you see the curses in deuteronomy 28 playing out even cannibalism i mean that's how that's how horrific uh the covenant breaking got is that israel uh, got so desperate and was put in such dire positions that they would eat their own i mean this is how brutal right it became in the history of israel um But everything, uh, the enemies, for example, in Deuteronomy 28, it talks about that, that God would give them over to their enemies if they broke the covenant, and they certainly did. They certainly, so they did not arrive, this is the way I guess that I would put it, they did not arrive at the heavenly ideal, right, that the Sabbath rest was supposed to uh, give them or was was, uh, depicting or was envisioning. Um, This is, um, let me see if I put this scripture in here. Okay, real quickly, Um, So where do we find true, ultimate Sabbath rest? If it wasn't in the Old Covenant, then it's in the New Covenant. And the only reason it's in the New Covenant is why? Because of Jesus Christ, right? Real simple, Sunday school level teaching right here. I wrote down that he alone can give us victory over the curse. 1 John 3, 9. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Victory over our enemies. Psalm 110, verse 1, the psalm that we looked at. He is now waiting in heaven for all enemies to be put under his feet. And the last enemy that will defeat it is death, which which that is a Adamic motif as well, right? Death is part of the curse in, in Genesis. And again, protology leads you right directly to eschatology every time. Also, in the New Covenant, believe it or not, turn with me to Jeremiah 32, because, and this is probably as controversial as I'll get today, Jeremiah chapter 32, that's just a way for you to get excited about this verse. <laughs> I got you. Deuteronomy chapter 32, I, told, I recently told a friend, I said, you know, the New Covenant, we're talking about land promises, because that's a very, uh, you know, I've told you before, that's kind of a, Big point of division between different camps of theology, especially dispensationalism, covenant theology, and things like that. And I told my friend, I said, "You know, um, you know, um, the new covenant is connected to the land." He said, "Show me that." To Jeremiah chapter thirty-two. <laughs> go to Jeremiah chapter thirty-two. <laughs> and I said, "It's right there. It's all right there." Uh, Jeremiah thirty-two. I'm supposed to know where it is. Okay, there we go. Um, Boy, we can go back all the way to verse 36, but really, um, I guess in verse 37, Behold, I will gather them out of the lands to which I have driven them in my anger, in my wrath, and in, 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 in great indignation, and I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety. That's obviously talking about the land. They shall be my people. I will be their God. Haven't I jumped up and down on that phrase before? They shall be my people, I will be their God. Why? What what do I say about that phrase, Kidam? Um, that's right. What else do I say about that phrase? I will they will be my people, I will be their God. Covenant consummation. Covenant consummation. Bingo. You know, come on up, get your prize. I got a Starbucks for you right here. <laughs> that's a good one. That's what should, that's good, Peggy. Covenant consummation because Peggy's absolutely right. Because I will be their God. They will be my people. This is what occurs in Revelation chapter 21 as the climax of the covenant, the consummation, right? When all is said and done, new heavens, new earth, we are dwelling safe, safely in the land. We are, man, that's it. Curse is over. Death is over. Heaven sing up and down. Hallelujah. Skip down the streets of gold. Just enjoy yourself for all eternity. And why, and what is that called? I will be their God. They will be my people. That's what that's called covenant consummation with God. Um, I had to point that out. Verse 39, I will give them one heart, one way. They will fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. Watch this. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do good, to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. That is new covenant soteriology, right there, right? And also, uh, really latch on to that promise, by the way. I will not turn away from them to do them good. Oh, what a great verse, right? I mean, really underline that, memorize that, go back to that. Meditate on that. Love that. Really cherish that. God will not turn away from you to do you good. What does that mean? He won't put you through trials? No, that's not what that's talking about. It's, what does Romans Romans, uh, 8, I think it's Romans 8, right? What does Romans 8 say? In the midst of these things, in these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ, Right? It's in the context of our trials, not aside. We can't measure the goodness of God by by the presence or absence of trials. It's by the presence or absence of God's covenant faithfulness to us. Right? Now, once again, verse 41, I will rejoice over them to do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land. What do you know? With all my heart, with all my soul, for thus says the Lord: Just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, so I am going to bring on them all the good that I am promising them. Fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is a desolation; it is a tohu. Wow, this is a decreational passage. Without man or beast, it is given to the hand of the in the hands of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign and seal deeds. And call in witness in the land of Benjamin, environs of Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. This is this is a, a vision of God prospering his people and causing them to flourish in the land. And I would say this has all now been conceived eschatologically through Jesus Christ. It is inaugurated in the conversion uh, of God's people. We looked at that last week. Remember Acts chapter 15? He quotes a very similar passage about the rebuilding of the ruins of the city, of the land, by the Gentile church coming into fruition. Amazing. Amazing. So the new covenant is how the land promises will be fulfilled. And what I'm arguing is that that is to be conceived through an already not yet fulfillment last thing then because oh no no not last thing Turn we mean matthew chapter 11 quickly matthew chapter 11 right just uh because we're talking about redemptive rest we already looked at hebrews chapter 4 which says that basically our rest is in christ so uh, let me ask you if you think this is a coincidence smack dab in the middle of a controversy surrounding the sabbath it Jesus says in Matthew 11:28, right? Come to me, you know this verse. All you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you and guess what word he uses? Sabaton. Sabaton. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and it says and you will find rest for your souls. He's quoting uh, directly out of Isaiah six sixteen there. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and then look at what happens in verse 12. That's a bad chapter break. At that time, <laughs> after he says that he will give you the true sabbaton, at that time, Jesus went through the grains on the Sabbath. And they begin to question him about his failure to strictly observe the Sabbath in the way that they were observing it. And what does he go on to say at the very end of it all? He says that he is the Lord of The Sabbath, right? Okay, last point, which is the eschatology theme. The eschatology theme. Turn with me in your Bibles quickly. I guess this will be kind of our last point. I've got so much on this, but I can't fit it all in. And I know if I do another part on this, you guys won't like that. But uh, Isaiah 66. Turn to Isaiah 66. Why did I say early on as we began this that when we look at the Sabbath... Right, we are already looking at an eschatological detail. In other words, just like in creation, God begins and the Sabbath is his capping off. I like the way that one theologian um, spoke of this by calling God the Sabbath-attaining God. That's very interesting. He attains Sabbath rests. In other words, he reaches it. Um, Meredith Klein says this, the, the, the presence of the Sabbath in the creation is a sign that shows that he is Alpha and Omega. He is beginning and end. It's kind of, it's a really interesting connection, but uh, uh, he is the first and the last, day one and the last day. Uh, where, where did I tell you to go? Isaiah 66, right? Isaiah 66. Why is Isaiah 66 important? Because Isaiah 65 and 66 is very important because it is there that you find the vision of the new heavens and the new earth, right? The new heavens and the new earth, Isaiah 65, 66, that's really, and it really, some of this stuff goes all the way back to Isaiah 61. But here we get some grand statements about the new heavens and the new earth. For example, Isaiah 66, 22 for just as the new heavens and the new earth which I make will endure before me declares the Lord so your offspring and your name will be will endure and it shall be from new moon to new moon and from sabbath to sabbath all mankind will come and bow down before me well when will all mankind come and bow down before him <laughs> huh Judgment. Judgment. (laughs) Everybody's saying judgment. (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong. There's many passages, and I supposedly have them down here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, how about Revelation 21, verse 24? I can just read it to you. You could just jot it down quickly. It says here, after saying that there is no physical temple because the Lord God is... Now, watch this. It didn't say no temple at all, right? This is very interesting. It's very very interesting. It said no, no temple at all. What does it say? The Lord and the Lamb are the temple. Wow, that's that's fascinating. We don't have time for that. But look at what it says in verse 24. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no... No night there Fathom that A world without nighttime Its gates will never be closed And they will bring the glory And the honor of the nations Into it Uh, Several passages like that Another passage That is very similar to this Would be Daniel uh, Chapter uh, Daniel I think it's Daniel chapter 7 Right Um, Just real quick I read this, and then we'll cl- and then we'll we'll close. Is it Daniel chapter seven? Daniel seven thirteen. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the son of man was coming, and he came to the ancient of days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Watch this: that all the peoples and the nations of men, every language, might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So um, how does Isaiah 66 come to fruition? How will it be that from Sabbath to Sabbath, perpetual Sabbath celebration in heaven, all mankind will come and bow down before him? Well, it comes through um, the second coming. This is the way that I wanted to say it. I want to strike this for the record. It says this. Oh, I say this. Sorry, I'm quoting myself. Hope you don't mind. (laughs) These are my notes, but I want to get this straight. Basically, um, I'm trying to find a period somewhere here. It's a paragraph without a period. These texts underscore the intensely personal character of God, the Sabbath-attaining God, as Meredith Klein says, and his will to bring our salvation to completion through Jesus Christ, who ushers in the new creational Sabbath, the new creational Sabbath-fullness, which was set forth in creation, Genesis 2, typified in the law, Exodus 31, promised in the eschatology of the prophets, Isaiah 66, and realized through Jesus Christ, Matthew 11, Colossians 2, Hebrews 4, and consummated in the new creation, uh, Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. That's what I wanted to uh, get down. Any questions, comments? We have five minutes. Just feel free to talk or ask questions or make a statement or comment. Trish, you got anything? I was talking with Trish about this before we came, but anyway. I couldn't wait. I was just so excited. Yeah, I was very surprised when I got home from evangelism, he wouldn't stop talking. I'm like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> <laughs> um, about because he never talks about. But Esau and three. You know where it talks about people rejoice over you with singing, he'll rejoice over you with song. Yes. Quiet you with his love. There in my passage that we were just in. And what was it? Uh, do you remember that main one we were just in? Jeremiah 32. Mm-hmm. Wow. Leave, leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong
1: and no mm.
0: lies, mm. nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. So mm. they will feed and lie down. Which sounds like you know Psalm twenty-three. Absolutely, that's a new, new heavens, new earth passage. No that's right, were always dwelling in safety. we All that—that's all connected, you know? yeah. Holy Mountain is the temple. Shout By the way, joy, O daughter of Zion, shout in triumph, O Israel, rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you, he has cleared away your enemies, the King of Israel. The Lord is in your midst, you will fear no disaster. Um, in that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion, do not let your hands fall left. The Lord is your God, um, he is in your midst, a victorious warrior, he will exalt over you with joy, he will quiet you with this love. Beautiful. Let's pray. Father, Lord, again, we thank you for um, just the beauty of your word. It's so deep and profound, Lord. I feel like every Sunday school I'm rushing just to get it all in. But um, I thank you that these have come and they've um, been sitting under these lessons. Lord, I pray that it will enrich their walk, that it will come back to them, Lord, time and time again as they're reading and doing the devotional reading through the Bible, that these themes will reoccur in their hearts and minds, that you would enrich them as they do so. In Jesus' name, bless our worship today. In Christ's name, amen. Do you have a key? I do. forgot. I got it. Oh, you got to lock the back door right now?